Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Why are, why are we taking movies? You know, here's the thing, right? Forrest Gump is, is PG-13. It's got some stuff in it that we wouldn't condone, right? It's got some stuff in it that we wouldn't say, yeah, do that. But at the same time, we believe that God can, can speak to us through these films. Why? Because honestly, 210 million Americans went to the movies last year. and spent $11.9 billion. Uh, here's the thing. At least 85% of you are regularly watching TV shows and movies. In contrast, only about 16% of people actually go to church. So every television is a teacher. Every movie is a, me- is a messenger. Most people are getting their theology from the theater. So movies shape our views, our doubts, and beliefs. It's not good or bad. It's just the reality of the culture that we live in. Andrew Fletcher said this. He said, give me the making of the songs of a nation, and I care not who writes its Laws And what Fletcher was, was saying here is the arts influence people more than laws do, right? Whether it's songs or films, this is what is actually influencing people more than the Bill of Rights, right? And, 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 so, and so here's the thing, right? Our goal is to uncover the spiritual themes in these most popular movies that you are watching. We want to decode these relevant culture shapers and unpack the truth behind these big screen teachers. And today is the movie Forest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. Like, I can do Forrest Gump, y'all. I can do a Forrest Gump impression like no one's business, okay? So here's the thing. Later, I might do some for you, all right? Here's the, here's the thing, though. Forrest Gump, like I said, came out 25 years back. And here's a quick snippet if you, or, or a quick summary if you haven't seen Forrest Gump. You know, the movie Forrest Gump follows the life and events of a man named Forrest Gump. Gump faces many tribulations throughout his life, but he never lets any of them interfere with his happiness. From wearing braces on his legs to having below average IQ and even being shot, Gump continues to believe that good things will happen and goes after his dreams. While several less than ideal things occur during Gump's life, he manages to turn each setback into something good for him, such as when he finally gets his braces off, he discovers that he is capable of running faster than most other people. This skill allows Gump to not only escape his bullies while he is a child in Greenbow, but also to gain a football scholarship, <laughs> save many soldiers' lives, and become famous for his ability. While Gump eventually achieves the majority of the things he hoped to throughout the movie, it proved a much more difficult task to win the heart of his lifelong friend, Jenny. The movie is centered on Forrest Gump and the incidences that, uh, that occurred during his life, but during each period in his lifetime, he thinks back of, uh, to Jenny and how important she is to him. Although two characters grew up together and shared a very close friendship, as the movie progresses, they grow apart. This some sets Gump, who cares immensely for a girl who had a rough start in her life, and it seems the two always end up back in each other's lives, often in extraordinary ways, like meeting in the Reflection Pond in D.C. Even though Gump is the main character of the film, it similarly tells the story of Jenny and the hardships she Faces. I just want to tell you this. If you haven't seen Forrest Gump, you need to go home today and watch it. It's an incredible film. But here's the thing. There's many things that I could preach with this movie. But today, I want to center on three things. First off, this. What we can see is Forrest made the most of the hand he was dealt. There was a lot of things Forrest could not control. He was given jacked up legs, a low IQ, a one-parent home. There were so many things about his life that he had no control over. But he didn't let what he could not control affect what he could control. 
And I've and, and here's the bottom line: forced to not fall into a victim mentality. And what and honestly, what I believe that we have to be very careful with as people living here in this world is falling into a victim mentality and becoming victims of circumstances that we had and have no control over. And then we start defining ourselves by those circumstances that we had no control over. Y'all, I just want to be candid with you. Straight up, there are some things in your life that you just will not understand on this side of eternity. You will not understand sometimes why you were born into the family you were in. You will have no idea why you were born into a certain, uh, certain weakness. You, you'll have no idea why you struggle with some of the things you struggle with. There is a lot of things that we can ask why and why and why. But at the same time, there has to come a point where you stop blaming and you start taking responsibility. Because if you are a victim, you lose the power to change because you're taking your power to change and putting it in somebody else's hands. And here's the thing. One of the things that I think we've lost in this world is the ability to accept responsibility. We're blaming people. We're blaming culture. We're blaming pills. Like we're, we're blaming all of these circumstances. And the bottom line is this. All of us are dealt certain different hands. Like some of y'all, you feel like you've been dealt a two of diamonds and a three of hearts. And you're playing Texas Hold'em. And you're like, how in the world am I going to make this hand work? How, how is this going to work? But what we see in Forrest's life is, is that Forrest, he was dealt a lot of cards that, we, that he could have easily said, I can't do anything because. I will always be stuck because. I will never make my life anything because. But what you see is Forrest did not blame his circumstances. He turned his circumstances into being what propelled him into doing incredible things. Here's the thing, y'all, we're, we're first-class blamers. And, and here's the thing, it is our heritage. What we see in Genesis chapter 3. Whenever the world was perfect, it was great, it was good, all was all good. Satan came and tempted Eve. And then Eve, she took some, ate the apple, the one thing the, from the one tree that God said, look, you got all these trees, eat from all these trees, but this one here is mine. Do not touch it, stay away from it. Eve gets tempted, Eve gives some, to Adam, and then you've got this whole sin where, where, where now we are all affected. Here's the thing. Gen Genesis 3 and the fall did not just happen. It happens. It's the same story just done in different, in different ways throughout generations, throughout history. And here's the thing, right? What you, what you see here, Genesis chapter 3, says here, but the Lord God called to the man, right? So here's the thing, right? They fall. They, dis they disobey God. And what do they do right after they fall and disobey God? That they they see the, thing, the scripture says they were naked and without shame. So they were chilling naked with no shame. There was no guilt. There was, there was no awkwardness. And then they disobeyed God and sin came into the world. And then it says they covered themselves because they felt shame, right? But then it says here, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, uh, I, you know, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he said, who told you that you we're naked. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So here's the thing. God is asking him a question of saying, did you, did you do this? And then the man said, it was the woman. What's that ratchet woman you put here with me? If you had not created her, God, if you wouldn't have taken my rib and created her, she gave me the fruit. From the tree and I ate it 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, well, what is this you have done? The woman said, nah, nah, nah. It was Satan. It was this serpent. And he deceived me. Here's the thing. From the very beginning, we have blame shifted. From the very beginning, we have been people that have wanted to skirt responsibility and blame our decisions and choices and the freedom that God has given us on someone else. Our first instinct is to blame. And what I thank God that what we see Forrest not doing is blaming people or other things for the circumstances that he had. He accepted responsibility. And here's the thing. I believe the first step to seeing change is realizing it's your responsibility. And that might not sound Christian. That might not sound whatever. But here's the thing. It is accepting the fact of you can't put your power to change in somebody else's hands. One guy said this. Your joy is your job. Your joy is your job. Meaning God has given you, thank God, the freedom and, and the free will to, 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 to here's the thing, make choices. And here's the thing, I think if we stay stuck, right, because so many people stay stuck throughout their lives in this why question. And here's the thing, I get it. I've got, think, I've got some decent authority to speak on, on this. As somebody that was birthed with a speech impediment that for so Someone's calling someone, so that better be Jesus Christ. Pick it up, answer him. I say, what's, what's he saying? But here's the thing. As somebody that was born with a speech impediment and that, is, that lived a lot of, of my life asking God, why did you choose me out of everyone on this planet for this to happen to? There comes a point you've got to transition from why, why, why to the questions now of how can this be used for, for my good, and God, what are you showing me? And until, we, until our question shifts from why is this ha- or why did this happen to God, how do you want to use this, and God, what do you want to show me, what do you want to do in, in me, then we'll, then we'll miss the power of the change that God wants to use. Because I'm telling you guys, most of the time, God uses the most terrible, unusual circumstances to bring the most amount of change. He just does. I mean, I, I'm a first-class example of this. I would have never thought that being a stuttering kid who went to go order at food at a restaurant, like, hey, can I have a cheese, cheese, cheese? I'm trying to t- say a cheeseburger, and I can't get it. I'm like, forget it, that I would be up, up here preaching. But here's the thing. Was it easy? No. But at the same, but at the same time, whenever you see, I couldn't, I couldn't take it and throw it on somewhere. I had to take responsibility. And here's the thing. You're going to have circumstances. I mean, I, I didn't ask for stuttering. Like I said, hey, God, can I be born with this? No. But at the same time, and, 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 and here's the thing. You can take whatever circumstances you've been dealt that you're going to ask God, why, why, why? But if you ask the questions, God, what are you showing me about yourself? How do you want to actually use this? I'm telling you, you'll give purpose to your circumstances. You'll, you'll get purpose. And then I'm telling you, what you'll actually do is you'll actually offer hope. Because I'm telling you, your journey of battling something and your journey of getting through something and getting over something isn't just about you. It's all the people you have influence over and can inspire because they say, because honestly, there's power in, if you did it, I could do it. And that's why your struggle, your battle, your journey isn't just about you. It's about everyone that's battling the same thing you are. That's why, honestly, I willingly... Most of the time, stutter freely. Why? Because honestly, everyone has a deep insecurity. And, that, and I'm just hoping and praying that as I work through mine, it'll give somebody else the power to say, do you know what, if he can do that, I'm going to work through my insecurity too and be me. 
So here's the thing. I appreciate the fact that Forrest did not fall into a victim mentality. And here's the thing. My prayer for you is that you wouldn't fall into that same trap that our world wants to blame, 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 but you would accept the fact, the God-given right and the God-given fact that, 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 that it's your responsibility. Here's the thing. You know, Forrest wasn't the only main character, as I said in the, you know, that I said in the description. There was also his girl, Jenna, that he absolutely loved. I mean, yo, and, and just flat out, this isn't a point, but it's amazing how Forrest's love for this woman, Jenny, is such a representation of Christ's love. Like Jenny would come to him as a stripper, and he's like, what's up, baby? I love you. You're my girl. She would come to him only when she wanted something, only when she wanted a place to, to just rest. She would go, use him, and then leave. But every time Jenny came back, Forrest wouldn't think about what she did. He would think about who's, who she and the fact of this was my girl. And I, I just love the fact that it was Forrest's love that overcame Jenny's rebellion. It was Forrest's love for her that never said, why this, why that? He just accepted her as she was. And that's the way that God is with us, y'all. And much in our rebellion and our throwing in the face, he never throws in our face, well, you did this and you did that. Forrest never did that. He just said, welcome home, Jenny. Welcome home. Welcome home. Jenny, though, however, if, if, if you watch the film, you know Jenny. Um, lived a pretty crazy life. She had a childhood that was filled with abuse, both physical and sexual. Led her to uh, a really hard life that was filled with sex and drugs, rock and roll, alcohol. And though, you know, through her crazy drug and sex-filled life, she, there was a point in the film where she came face-to-face -face with her dysfunction. The home she grew up in. Check this out. Every day we'd take a walk, and I'd jab her on like a monkey in a tree, and she'd listen about ping-ponging and shrimping and mama making a trip up to heaven. I did all the talking. Jenny most of the times was, was real quiet. Sometimes I guess there just aren't enough rocks. <laughs> Sometimes there's just not enough rocks. What we see here is Jenny comes face to face with her dysfunction. Jenny is brought back to 
the place in her, in her life, which was the source of her pain. And in, and in so many ways, the root issue of why her life went, went on the certain trajectory that it had. I think it's, it's pretty evident here that Jenny, when she was face-to-face -face with the source of her dysfunction, she never dealt with it. And I think if we're completely honest here, our home, not just the physical structure, but the emotional, spiritual, sexual, psychological, financial, relational, and marital structural that, that we grow up in in our home, it deeply influences us for the good or the bad. It influences who we are and how we live our lives. And this is even in the smallest things. I, I remember growing up and my dad, I don't think he's here today, but you know, he always had this dumb laugh that I just would joke on. You know, he, like this way he would laugh. <laughs> This would joke on him, and I just remember joking on him, be like, "Dad, ask the dumbest laugh." Well, I remember when I was when I was 18 years old, and, and I moved out the house, went to college. I was some dude said a joke, and I started to uh, laugh, and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, oh God, why am I laughing like my dad? Why?" But the home we grew up in influences us, and honestly, what I think we see in our cultures, many people are living from an emotional or psychological hurt they've never properly dealt with or processed through. And I believe that when Jenny saw her home, she was flooded with the root and what had influenced her and what she had lived from in her life that always caused her to look for male approval, that caused her to seek experiences that weren't for her benefit. The whole thing, hurt people, hurt people, is so true. And what I think we see in our culture is most of the dysfunction that we see in our church personally and even in our culture is generational and it's just passed down. And, and to be really candid, I don't think the church has really helped a whole lot with this. And let me tell you why. The certain, um, the certain church tradition that I grew up in the altar was kind of an important place. And, and here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's, it's not. But at the same time, the altar was if you had something going on in your life, if you had a hurt, a pain, a struggle, you went down to, to the altar and you got prayed for. And if, you know, it was kind of like once you get prayed for, it's like, okay, good, now, 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 now you're good. Just, just, you know, just, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, it's like, just now you're good. Just kind of go pray for it and it's all good. And here's the thing. Some, sometimes Jesus does work inst, inst, instantaneously where he takes away the hurt, the pain, the struggle, the emotional hurt, the pain, struggle. Sometimes Jesus does that and we believe Jesus can do that. And do you know what? We pray for that. But at the same time, there, here's, here's the thing, right? There is a, a work that Jesus does for us on the cross and there is a work that Jesus does in us. The work that Jesus does for us is instantaneous, and it's what you cannot do. That when Jesus went and lived the perfect sinless life, died on the cross in your place and for your sin, resurrected and rose and defeated Satan's sin and death, that was something you could not do that Jesus did for you, that you put your faith in what Jesus did, and it is 
it is your faith and God's grace that he gives you as, as a gift that the, the, does what we call in church save you. Meaning you can't save yourself. You can't pay for your own sin. Jesus did that because you, you weren't perfect. All of y'all messed up. I'm messed up. We're all messed up. So we can't give a perfect sacrifice to God for what we've done. That's why we don't do good things to get God to try to actually love us. We put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us, and that is what gives us access and a brand new identity before God because he did something that, that, that we could not do. And so now that's what Jesus did for us, but there's not just the work that Jesus did for us beyond what Jesus does for us. There's a work that Jesus does in us. One is instantaneous. What he did for us instantaneously saves you because you're saying, I can't save myself. But then there is a different work that Jesus does in us that is not instantaneous. It's sanctification is what the the theological term is that lasts a lifetime. That is not overnight that does not just happen when you come to the altar. Because here's the thing, you have different parts to you. You have a, a spirit, and that's what Jesus saves. That's what he does it for. But then you have a soul, mind, and body. And, and that's why in Romans 12, whenever Paul's talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, he says this, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Basically saying, like, the, there's going to be a process that God is going to have to get out bad thought, thought, thought patterns and put in new ones. And he's going to have to work in you. And he's going to be renewing continually through, throughout your life to help you work out and live from this new identity that he gave you because of what he did for you. And then it will work itself out through you. The truth is this. You can be saved and suffering. You can be saved and enslaved. You can be saved and addicted. You can have a, you see, and that's why so many of you here struggle because you're like, I'm a Christian. Like, I love Jesus. I come to church. I do these things. But why can't I change? I'm still struggling with the same stuff. And you guilt yourself and you try harder and you try, you know, if I just try harder and get better willpower and you just think, well, then I'll change. And then it gets good for a little while and then it gets worse. But here's the thing, God's desire for you isn't for you just to get to heaven. It's for you to live free. He said, it's for freedom that I have come and set you free. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. One is instantaneous, but one is a continual journey. And honestly, I believe that many people are living from a place of hurt. You're saved, but living from a place of hurt, psychological, emotional, whatever, that you have been living from, and you've been wondering why, 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 why do I keep doing this? And it could be because you have a place of hurt inside of your heart, a place of, of emotional baggage, a place of psychological baggage that you have not properly dealt with and processed through. And honestly, this is a whole different sermon, but I just want to give you a few things really, really quick. That if that is you, if you're saved and enslaved, if you're saved and addicted, if you're saved and suffering, I just want to offer you a few thoughts. First off, you got to face it and acknowledging it. Stop fighting it and stop running. Stop fight or flight, right? We have a fight or flight instinct where whenever we face something, our first, our, our first instinct is typically either or. We'll try to fight it in our own strength or we'll just say, I can't deal with it. I'm not strong enough and we'll run. 
And what it's easy for us to do is create patterns of this, of whenever we have hurt in our, in our lives, whenever we got places in us that we know we haven't dealt with adequately, that we know we're living from, if we don't, if we try to fight it in our own strength, we'll get, we'll get jacked up. If we, if, if we run from it, you can only run so far because wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. And what I want to challenge you today, and what I believe the Lord gave me today for somebody here is you need to stop running. He gave me those two words. He said, stop running from your dysfunction. Stop running from your place of pain. Stop running and face it and acknowledge it. But secondly, you need to get help. It's so, you know what? I saw this shirt the other day. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. And I believe this is so true. Because honestly, what I think the whole, and it wasn't on purpose, but the whole like come to the altar and Jesus will just do, just do everything for you there is we got into this, we think getting a counselor is not having faith. Or reaching out and getting help isn't faith. It's like, if I do that, well, I just don't trust God. Sometimes the greatest act of faith you can do is to step out and be vulnerable and get help. It's okay not to be okay. It is. And here's what messes, this is where church gets messed up because in church it's so easy to fake it. Because we hate to look weak. We, we walk in, how, how you doing, man? Man, I'm blessed, highly favored. Kids are great. Wife is amazing. Loving life. And on the inside, you know, man, your wife hates you. Y'all are struggling. Y'all ain't talking except when it's about the kids. You're, you're, there's no intimacy. But you come to church, it's great, it's good. And that's why I hate when churches try to put on this, and I pray it's never done here, where we try to, to do this fake it culture. Because we don't want people to know us and see us and know our struggles and know our, our, our real struggles and deep hurts and, and everything. Y'all, if that's the way this church is going to be, I just prefer to shut the thing down. Flat out. Because if that's the culture, then we'll never see life change. We'll just be a culture and a church full of fakers. And I'd rather have a church full of honest people that are honest with their screw-ups, honest with their mess-ups, honest with their pain. Because that's how you actually see change. Isn't just, just to keep covering it up, covering it up. But honestly, what it, what it, what it does is it's pride, ultimately. It's pride, Here's saying James 1.5 says this. Do we got James 1.5? I don't think we do. Anyway, this is, this is what it says. It's, it's, it says, if any of you lacks, there you go, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Look, the context here is wisdom. But what James is, is saying here, if you don't have something, ask. If you ain't got something, lay your pride down. Ask for it. And I believe if, if as a church we just stop trying to fake it and stop trying to, you know, live this fake, like, let it, if you need something, you need to get help, get it. Your, your life is too valuable. Your purpose is too precious. Your influence is too needed to, to just 
live fake because honestly, we will reproduce not who we want to be. We will reproduce who we are. And that's why some of, some of you here, you've got to face your demons so you won't pass it down to your kids. You've got to stop the cycle. You've got to deal with your dysfunction. Because if you don't, you'll pass it down. Face it. Don't be afraid to get help. And thirdly, show up. Oh, first off, let me say, if you need help, you better tell somebody. Tell me. Tell Carrie. Tell Dwayne. Tell somebody in this church. Don't fake it any longer. You ain't going to be judged. Are you kidding, kidding, kidding me? We ain't going to judge, judge you here. Because we, we know a step to you getting help is to be in real and honest. Third, thirdly, face it. Get help. Thirdly, show up. We need to stop thinking that God's going to fix in four weeks what you've spent 40 years building. And sometimes, this is what ticks me off, is people, they, they have a dysfunction, and then they try something for two weeks, and they're like, oh, it wasn't working. It just didn't work. You know, I, I went to a small group, and I just, you know, just, oh, my God, like, I just didn't feel anything. And, you know, I went to a counselor, to, and she was, you know, Look, y'all, what you've built 15, 20, 25, 30 years in building a mindset, emotional baggage, emotional habits, psychological habits, these things aren't going to just blow away in three weeks. It's something where you've got to show up and be consistent and say, I'm in this thing for the long haul. Stop thinking it's going to be, because honestly, in our country, we, we want a quick fix. We want to... You know, we just want quick fixes in this country. But spiritual growth isn't a quick fix, y'all. Healing emotional and psychological baggage is not a quick fix. Because it wasn't a quick fix to get where you are. It's going to be long. It's going to be hard. It's going to be arduous. And you've got to show up. I believe if you, if, if you need a counselor, get a Christian counselor. If you need to tell, talk to someone, talk to them. But this is where I believe this. The structure that a local church brings Sometimes you cannot out-counsel that. Because I believe, honestly, what keeps people from seeing change happen is this word consistency. Because church, groups, relationships, it all becomes optional. Like, it's crazy how people can be committed to a soccer team through sickness. It's like they made a covenant, like a marriage with a soccer team through sickness and death. The Jaguar. <laughs> that is true. No, I'm just being. Hey, you, you, if you want to commit, any, any sing, any single ladies here, you single ladies, you want a committed man, find a Jaguars fan. That's all I'm saying. Because if a man will stick with the Jaguars, he'll really stick with you through all your dysfunction and mess. I'm just saying. So when you're on your dating sites, look for two things: Christian, Jaguars fan. You got those two things. I'm all in. I'll do your wedding for you. <laughs> but here's the thing. What I'm saying is we are committed to stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't mean a dang thing. 
And we won't commit to a greenhouse, a system of structure, but if we continue in it and be faithful in it and, and, and work the process, because that's what the church is supposed to do. It's not supposed to do stuff for you. It's supposed to create a system, a structure, a greenhouse, where if you participate over the long haul, you do the right things for a long enough time, you will see growth happen. And, that, and honestly, I'm just being real. I think some people place their dysfunction, like they blame it on the church. Well, church didn't do this and church didn't do that. Blame, blame, blame shifting. Right? And I'm not trying to throw guilt. I'm not trying to, do, to throw shade. What I'm saying is, is that, like, we've got to take res- responsibility and, and work the structure and the system and the greenhouse that God has put into place. Here's the thing. I don't think it's just church. Like, church is a part of it. But at the same time, for some of you, you need something deeper than that. Like, like you need a Christian therapist. And I say a Christian because a Christian therapist will actually see the root of your problem beyond it just being a physical thing. Because honestly, these roots of what we see, it's a spiritual issue. Scripture says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Like we don't fight against, like we fight a spiritual battle and a spiritual war and a Christian counselor will counsel you and help you from that perspective. And that's why I believe it's important that you go to a Christian counselor. If you need recommendations on that, let me know. But here's the thing, I love what Forrest said, he said, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. And you're dang right, Forrest, there isn't. Because there's not enough rocks, there's, there's not enough physical things you can do to try to take down and destroy your past. It's got to be dealt with. So you've got to put the man-made ways behind. You've got to put your, your whole desire just to try harder. And you, you, you've got to take those things that you're throwing at it and put it down so God can come and bring true healing in your life. Thirdly, God... Third and finally, God can, God does, and God will use anybody who is willing to make a difference. This is what I love about Forrest, man. His life shouldn't have had that big of an impact. I mean, just, I mean, when you look at his life, you're like, okay, that guy either got really lucky or he had some really divine help. Because he was not the brightest crayon in the box. And here's the thing. I, I, what we believe at this church is that God will use anybody that's willing and you know how i can see this it's our church a great example is one big sunday where we had people that came together and said look i'll set up i'll tear down i'll prepare donuts i'll love on your kids i'll greet you i'll I'll play worship i'll put out door hangers i'll check in kids i'll love on babies i'll do whatever some of you, you know, some of you guys think probably wrongly think that oh John, you know, you know, you know, it's 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 or it's like you know John is you know since John's the one talking that John's the most important thing. Let me tell you tell you this. Stats say that that honestly, people make a decision first time guests whether they're going to come back to to a church the second time five minutes with them within them showing up on the property. So do you know who doesn't matter? Do you know who does matter? The hospitality team, when they walk in, do they feel loved, accepted, valued, or are they informed? Do you know who doesn't matter? Our worship team. Are they great? Yep. But at the same time, we don't put a price tag on certain positions here at, at this church. Whether you're a donut preparer or whether you're a preacher or worship leader, it all matters. 
It all matters. And that, that, that's why we say, we don't care what stage of your Christian walk you're in. You can even be questioning a skeptic, whatever. We've got a place for you to make a difference here. Are we going to put you leading in kids? Probably not. Probably want to see a little more, you know, consistent thread of you growing in your walk with Christ, understanding the Bible. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, we... You know, we're not going to throw you into the lion's den or anything, but at the same time, we've got a spot for you to play as you're figuring it out. We don't put a limit at, at this church. A, a story really quick. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10. And I'm going to close here. This is, before I actually read it, let me give you some context here. Where this is when the church first started, right? The book of Acts is, is just a early historical account written by the, the Dr. Luke of the early church. Scripture says, Luke, Luke said this, that Luke went out and, and got a bunch of eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, the early ministry of Jesus in the early church, and he wrote an orderly account of Jesus' early ministry in the early church. And so what we see here is actually Luke describing and saying uh, a, a portion and part of the early church, specifically the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John. And this is what it says here. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he, now, now let me break this down to you. He right here is a, uh, a crippled man. So here's what There was a crippled man laying at the front of this like city center area that had been crippled a long time. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So you've got this crippled guy begging, give, give me money, right? It says Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Come on, someone. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, you would think at this moment, right, someone that was crippled got healed. The whole city would just be excited, like, that this crippled guy is actually walking now. And here's the thing, y'all. We actually believe that what happened there isn't just for the early church. Like, we believe at the church, God can physically heal you. We, we believe that here. We're not, we're not going to declare to God, God, you better do it. God, you, you know. No, here's the thing. God is sovereign and God is strong. But at the same time, we're not going to demand. We're a, a son coming to his father, a daughter coming to his father. And we're going to say, God, you're powerful enough. You can do it. We're going to have prayer teams set up later. If you have a physical ailment and you want to be physically healed, I want to encourage you to come up and get prayer. We believe God can touch you today. But here's the thing. You would think that there would be this great roar in the city of of people just being excited about a crippled guy walking. But what you actually see, guess who got jealous of that? The religious leaders. Let me kind of down a little, little bit. Here's the thing. Like, the, the, the 
religious leaders got jealous and they were like, oh crap. Like they just healed somebody. Hey, have we ever healed anybody, fellow religious leader? No. Dang. And then they got jealous and then they actually went and did this. Arrested Peter and John and brought them in and said, so how'd y'all do this? How'd y'all heal this guy, huh? And, you know, Peter and John, at this point, they're so bold. They're, they're just so telling them about Jesus and telling them, look, we didn't do this. This wasn't our strength. This wasn't our, this was the power of God working in someone's life to show them who God is and what God's like. This ain't our doing. And then it says this here, it says this one verse here, Acts chapter four, verse 13 through 14. When they, talking about the religious leaders, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I would love to see this moment. Because here's the thing, the religious leaders saw these ragtag disciples that Jesus was with, saw the complete miracle that they did, and then it says they saw that they were unschooled, ordin they were unschooled ordinary men. Well, let me tell you what this word unschooled means in the Greek. Because honestly, we see this and we just see unschooled, but let me tell you what this word unschooled actually, actually translates to. And in the Greek, it's the Greek word idiotes. Which is where we get the word idiot. So it says when they realized that they were ordinary idiots, they took note that these men have been with Jesus though. And since they saw the evidence of the power of God working in life, there was nothing they could say. I truly believe God chooses and will continue choosing ordinary idiots to get his work done. Why? Well, because honestly, I believe this. There's room in their life for God to fill their gaps. I'm going to explain this whole concept of the gap. Because honestly, I believe many times, you know, we feel this calling from God, but we also feel like we lack something. We feel like we don't have what it takes. We feel like we, we can't live up to it or we can't accomplish it. And honestly, I believe many times God chooses and will keep on choosing those whom, whom he sees gaps in. Because your gap is space and a place for God to fill it with his grace. It is a place. See, here's the thing, right? We're like, God, why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why don't I have this skill, this ability? Because if you had everything you needed to accomplish what God called you to, people wouldn't praise God, they would praise you. So honestly, I believe sometimes God leaves some things out of our lives so he can fill it with his power, with his presence, and with his grace. So when they see what God does through your life, all they can say is, that was God. 
and I want to live a life. I want our church to be one. I want my life to people look at me and they be like, yo, that was God. Like, I, I know John. He's not that great. He's very ordinary. There's nothing special about him. But when they see the evidence, just as the religious leaders saw standing, the healed people standing there, there was nothing they could say. My prayer is that when God is finished and through with me, people would have nothing to say. And just be like, that was only a life that God touched. Because we know God, we, we know John, he's not that great. And I want our church to be one where when people look at our church, they would only say, God could have done that. My heart is for us to have a church where, where people look at it, there is nothing they can say because the evidence is there. It can't be denied. They say about our church, the love is real. The power of God is real. The help is real. The city impact is real. The selflessness is real. The, 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 the fact that they want to use their time, their talent, and treasure is real. My heart for us personally and for us corporately is to be a church where, you know what I'm saying, the, the, the city, the religious leaders here would look at us and all they could say is, that was God. And that's only going to happen when we realize in our lives we have gaps and God puts gaps there purposely so he can fill it with his power and with his presence anybody here thankful for the gap anybody here got some gaps and thankful for them for so many years I said God why why do I stutter God I stutter 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 and it was just like what I finally realized is God put a gap in my life so I would know it ain't about me it's about his power and his presence. Stand on your feet today, church. Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.